Welcome to the Songwriter Connection Podcast, where we look at the craft of songwriting through the eyes of a songwriter. Each week, we make a connection with a music maker, listen to their songs, and hear their stories. From Nashville, Tennessee, here's your host, Dave Lenahan. Always, always good to uh, to have you join us for the Songwriter Connection Podcast. And if you listen to this podcast a lot, you you know my my rants, right? I say, don't worry about genre. Don't get locked into a genre. Explore it all. Do it all. Uh, define success for you. And then pursue it with all the passion that you have. Uh, keep learning the craft. Keep writing all the time. And keep learning. And you want to talk about success, I've got someone who's been very successful in the music business. And I'm very anxious for you to make that connection today. And let me introduce you to, right away, Michael J. Kind of all rhymes, didn't it? That's... Yeah, we could turn that into a song lyric. <laughs> you probably could. We'll write a song here while you're here. Yeah, well, well, thank you for having me, Dave. Thank you, Michael. I appreciate you coming this way sure. and sitting down around the dining room table and talking with us a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Let's do the quick uh, Google uh, uh, trip uh, on you. So I want to tell folks all about you. Uh, you did radio. Like, my man, you did some radio. I was a music director of my college radio station. And what kind of music were you playing? Well, college radio is a mix yeah, of everything, it is, as, isn't it? as you know. Yeah. But uh, the music director is the one who chooses the material that the uh, student DJs can, can can select from. That's a lot of power. <laughs> well, it was. And, and I was also responsible for uh, creating the playlists, uh, putting them in the local record stores, sending yeah. them to the CMJ, awesome. which is the College Media Journal. Uh-huh. And, and where did you go to school? Uh, Illinois State. Illinois State. Yeah. So were you in the Chicago area? Is that where you grew up? I, I was born and raised in Chicago, yeah. In Chicago. And now from, from radio, you went into the music business, and uh, you were with Curtis Mayfield, um, that whole company? Yeah. From oh, um, I moved back to Chicago after college, and um, I got a job with Curtis Mayfield at Kurt Tom Records, and oh, I, I was an A&R guy there. Uh, now, there's okay, there's a term. We, talk, we hear terms. We hear other, we, people throw that, a and director. What's an A&R director? What do they do? Uh, the A&R director at a record company, it stands for Artist and Repertoire, mm-hmm. and they are basically the creative executives at a record company. They're responsible not only for signing and bringing in new talent to the label, mm-hmm. but working with that talent to find material for them to record. Uh, they work with the songwriting community, the music publishers, to try and find you know, hit songs. You're the guys that the songwriters try to, to get the songs to, right? Yeah, uh, A and R people are the guys that songwriters generally hate <laughs> because you get more passes than than yeah, you, you know, do, don't you? <laughs> yeah, so I mean, being on both sides of the fence, I kind of uh, right. Yeah, okay, but but it's like when I um when I started artist development and I discovered Martika in the eighties. Yeah, I, I got her to talk about Martika. For yeah, sure. I got her yeah. signed to Sony, and I mean, every record company they they. Uh, you know, they sort of give you an A and R person just to over because it's their it's their money. They're paying for the project, sure. So sure. they want to have a company executive oversee to make sure that I'm not going crazy. <laughs> but uh, my my A and R skills were so good that uh, they kind of left me alone. I was able That's to choose cool. the material. I was able to. Uh, we did a couple of outside songs that I picked. Uh, none of them came from the label. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to. There's our cat. There's Juliet. Yeah. You know, <laughs> She loves the table. Sorry, Michael J. No, I, she's a part of the show. She's wonderful. She comes with the territory. She's absolutely wonderful. And she can sit here the whole interview. I don't care. She's cute. She's lucky. She's cute. Yeah. So uh, you, they gave you a lot of creative freedom then because of your success. Yeah, I mean, it started with me bringing the artist to them. So you mm-hmm. know, that, I, I basically served a lot of functions that A and R people do mm-hmm. uh, in bringing this project to the label, and so they kind of left me alone. But I did have a guy overseeing. Um, the whole project. Ron Oberman was there. He was he was sort of making sure I didn't go crazy because on Toy Soldiers I kind of did go crazy. <laughs> you did. I, I, I became Brian Wilson. You know, yeah. I mean, I was like, let's get a children's choir in oh, here. Oh <laughs> man! And you know, who can forget that? I mean, seriously, wow! I mean, yeah. that was just fantastic. Here, I just play a little bit of it here. I got, I got. Get the children's choir in there. So was this in Chicago that you started working with her? It was just after you moved to L.A.? Oh, that was after L.A. LA I was in LA. L.A., yeah. Yeah. I mean, who could forget this? And this has been done so many times, right? Oh, yeah. Eminem. Eminem, yeah. Yeah. He had a hit version with it. And, and a lot of people covered this, didn't they? I've had so many cuts on this, so many different covers and different styles of music. Uh-huh. I've had heavy metal versions. Really? I've had, I haven't heard the heavy metal oh, versions. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta dig that out. Um, there's singer-songwriter, alternative rock versions, there's a country version, there's all kinds of weird versions, but 
Oh, man. One of my favorites was earlier last year um, in the movie Megan, a horror movie. Megan. Yes, yes. You, exactly. <laughs> There's a scene where the, the evil doll gets up in the middle of the night, sits down at the living room piano, and starts playing toy soldiers. <laughs> That's something. you got to love that. Yeah, I, lo- I love that. That was fun. <laughs> That's fantastic. Now, you moved out to L.A., and you signed uh, with a company that, uh, that did a lot with movies and things, and uh, you, you scored a, a song. Uh, in the soundtrack to this movie nobody ever heard of called yeah. Top Very very, Top very small movie. I don't know if you remember it. It was called Top Gun uh, with was, Tom Cruise. Was it Tom Cruise that was in? <laughs> <laughs> of course it was Tom Cruise. And this was the Miami Sound Machine, right? That did, did that one. Yeah, Gloria Estefan, Miami uh, yeah. Sound Machine. Uh, they sang my song in the original Top Gun movie soundtrack. And uh, the producer was Giorgio Moroder. I mean, you got all these legends together <laughs> coming together to do my song. <laughs> uh, uh, that was just. That I was, thought I had a little bit of it to play, and I don't. Oh, yeah, I do. I do. I do. Hot, I do. Okay. Hot summer Problems nights. of live radio. Hot <laughs> summer nights. Here we go. <laughs> Anyways, great song, and it was on that soundtrack. Now that had to. That had to be quite a thrill. That was great. First song. First song I had in a movie. That was. That was the first time I had a song in a movie. There's no, no. Uh, but you know, if you got, if you remember back at that time, t- this was like Tom Cruise's second movie. He wasn't a big movie star. No. So nobody really knew if this movie was going to do anything while it was being put together. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was told uh, I had just signed a publishing deal with Famous Music, so I was now a staff writer for Paramount Pictures. They owned all my publishing anyway. Did they? So they were like, go over and check out this this movie they're filming called Top Gun. And, mm-hmm. You know, they need songs. So <laughs> I went and I saw some, uh, they showed me some dailies, just some clips of scenes that weren't put together yet. Sound effects weren't in, so you'd see planes flying around without any sound. And I, and I, you know, I was thinking, this movie's going to suck. <laughs> <laughs> so did you have to write around the scenes? And, and- well, they had specific uh, needs per scene, and they, they mm-hmm. would show us a scene, and they'd say, uh, they'd have temp music in there. They'd just pick a song and f- flip it in there. It's not a song they wanted to use. It was you know, a non-original song, just something that they had laying around. Yeah. And they say, we want to replace this music with a, a new original song. Do you have it? anything and it's got to match the tempo because they've already edited the scene yeah so you know i mean i I checked out the scene and uh went back and you know got together with my collaborators and we wrote hot summer nights and so you wrote it specifically for that specifically for for that yeah wasn't like oh i got this let's try this one no no i i mean that happens a lot when you're talking about writing for syncs you Mm -hmm. know you just you blindly send songs to films that are in production and if they if they have a use for it they'll do it now this was actually being asked being brought in and asked to write a song for a scene. What a thrill. Yeah. That's got to be something. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I've had a lot of success with the, with sync music, too, haven't you? Um, yeah, it's it's been okay. Especially That's last year. I had some good ones last good year. Christmas movies this year. Oh, uh, yeah. I, uh, a Holiday Twist, which was uh, playing briefly in the theaters here in Nashville. I went to see it at Opry Mills. How about that? Um, and it, it, it was, it's great to have the, the main song in there. Jake Miller performed. It was called I Got You. And uh, to my astonishment, uh, <laughs> I won the HMMA Award in November for Best Original Song in an Independent Film this year. Isn't that amazing? I mean, I Congratulations. Believe, I, thank you. But, yeah. I mean, we were up against so many great films. That I, I just did not expect to win that. That was just a really great wow. surprise. That is something else. Yeah. yeah. And then it was Steve Dorff. I wrote uh, the theme song to Ladies of the 80s. But... Let's tell folks who Steve Dorff is. Okay, yeah, big writer. Uh, let's... Big writer. <laughs> Steve Dorff? Well, yeah, Google him. Yeah, Google him. <laughs> He's in the uh, Songwriter Hall of Fame. He's wow. a legend and he's one of my best friends and we write a lot together and he scored a Christmas film for Lifetime called Ladies of the 80s uh, A Divas Christmas Yeah, and he asked me to come in and write uh, the theme song with him and I did and we got Tiffany to sing it Oh wow! because this was a whole 80s conceptual thing Sure. and so that was a good one and then uh, Steve also scored a a western last summer called uh, Dead Man's Hand with Cole Hauser oh yeah yeah and so uh, he was scoring that and they needed songs so he called me and said come on and write some songs with me so Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's nice to have friends like that you know (laughs) so what kind of songs for a western you gotta have well actually there was this one song I'm actually pretty proud of it because it was a a hard a challenging thing to do Mm -hmm. Um, the type of song, the type of lyric that was needed was uh, the lyric needed to be from the perspective of a guy who was just shot. You know, I mean, it's like, I don't know, if somebody shoots me, I'm not going to want to lay down and sing a song. <laughs> right. But you know, um, you know, it was it kind of reminded me of that old western that uh, 
Sam Peckinpah did, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. Oh, I loved and it. that song had the Bob Dylan song, Knocking on Heaven's Door. That's right. And, and so Dylan that's, was in that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was thinking in terms of that, Knocking on Heaven's Door. It's a you're about to die kind of thing. Yeah. And what are you going to say? So that's the, I, we ended up writing Bulletproof Heart. For, wow. for this movie and, and the band Essex County performed it in the soundtrack and I was very proud of that one awesome that and fantastic. all thanks to Steve Dorfman <laughs> wow <laughs> that's great yeah. uh, you know uh, let me ask you this you, you, were, you had such success in the LA music scene which is another major music capital um, what brought you to Nashville what was the draw well, here we go again. Steve Dorf. Steve Dorf. Your buddy. <laughs> I, Steve was living in L.A. when I when we met years ago. And we became really good friends. And we, we were writing songs in L.A. together. And then he moved out here because his son is the actor, Steven Dorf. And, and Steven lived out here. And I guess uh, he just wanted to be closer to them. And he also, he hates L.A. traffic, as everybody does. <laughs> so are starting to rival them here. But it's Nashville. funny because Steve Dorf moved out here. And then I was still in L.A. And he'd call me in L.A. And he'd say, you know, I got this great writing session on Thursday, and it's Tuesday. And he'd say, I got yeah. a great writing. You want to come in with me? So I'd have to hang up the phone and make flight reservations. And, and I was doing that a lot. And, and, and finally, I just said, you know what? I, I should just buy a house here and, and just stay here because the music scene here is so much better than L.A. right now. Is it really? Wow. Yeah, I mean, L.A. was great You know, when I moved there in the 80s. You, yeah. you can't beat L.A. in the 80s. Oh, man. I mean, that, that yeah. was fantastic. In the 70s, yeah. It's yeah. different, you know, for decades later it's you know and and the covid pandemic thing mm. the city really hasn't bounced back from that yet no and no, no mm. a lot of businesses are still you know they haven't recovered it's there are yeah. areas that are like ghost towns wow. uh the traffic is just terrible mm-hmm. and it just seems that so much of the great music that's happening is I, that i find is coming out of nashville now really I mean, there was, it changes all the time. I remember, I remember a time in the nineties where I was flying to Europe all the time. I was going to Copenhagen and Stockholm and London because yeah. that's where all the great pop music was coming oh, out of. Oh, yeah. Stockholm syndrome. Right? Yeah. So I kind of yeah. just follow wherever the, you know, the, the great pop music hubs are. Yeah. And the nice thing about Nashville is there's a lot of great pop music here. Yeah, but now people don't know that they always now, think country, country, country. Yeah, but right. now I can yeah. add country yeah. to what I've done because you can't really do country very well in L.A. or in Europe. Mm-mm. I mean, not this kind of country. So yeah. since I've been in Nashville, I've been here for eighteen months now, and I've yeah. just developed a real love of country music. Have yeah. you? Yeah, and I've I've started writing some country songs. Good. You Good. know, I I haven't written a song about a truck yet, but that's coming. <laughs> I'm sure <laughs> you gotta have a truck. <laughs> that's right. Mama prison. You know all that. Yeah, but um, yeah, I've been writing with some fantastic uh, country writers. Uh, I mean, an artist too, right? Yeah, artists. I uh, wrote with Lindsay L. Um, Lindsay L. Uh, Hall of Famer uh, Ray Van Hoy. Ray Van Hoy. Yeah, great we writer. just wrote a great song together, and a lot of up and coming new artists. Justin Love. Um, Love uh, Justin. He's going to be on the show here. Oh, he is. Oh, you're yeah, going to. Yeah, he's great. Yeah, he's great. But I, you know, I meet I meet a lot of these people doing uh, these writers rounds. Uh, people like uh, mm-hmm. Brooklyn Summer and J Four. Yeah, J Four. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of great talent in this town that's really that's is. still on discovered yeah and you know that's that's the a and r guy in me <laughs> wanting to discover people you know yeah yeah and scott barrier who's scott's great good dear scott barrier and i just wrote a great song with yeah. uh kirsty mana and i uh, love kirsty yeah, too Kirstie yeah i'll be on this show we're gonna get her on that that's great i you know i just love songwriters i've always loved songwriters and 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 that art and that craft and, and the whole community and it's just Absolutely. nashville's the place to be for that this town is run by songwriters i agree <laughs> you know we, when I, I came here from cincinnati so in, in the songwriter group i'd hang out we'd, we'd go in the morning and we'd have we'd have breakfast and throw out hooks and stuff decide what we were going to write that day and we right. would look at this like we were had we had three heads what are you doing <laughs> you know? nashville people they don't think anything about it they understand you know, yeah, they understand. They know what it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's so funny. Mark Allen Barnett, who's been on the uh, co, uh, co-host on this show and has been on the show many times, is a dear, dear friend. He's the people would say, how do you find co-writers? He goes, you're in Nashville. Throw a stone. <laughs> you're going to find one. But you know what? Even if you're not in Nashville, folks, find folks that you that share an interest for the craft. Right. And sit down and write with them. It's important yeah. to, to, to co-write, isn't it? Absolutely. I mean... Co-writing is great. I've been lucky that I've, I've actually had a few cuts of songs that I wrote by myself. Heavy, yeah. But I'll tell you, it, it's fun to have those cuts, but it's more fun to be in a writing session with friends and just I think so kicking too. it around. It's a social it kind is. of job, you know? It's it's great. Right? I'd rather do that than play golf to tell. Absolutely. <laughs> golf frustrates me. <laughs> I love a hate, love-hate relationship with it. Yeah. <laughs> It's like fetch for humans. <laughs> it, is. it absolutely is. 
Oh, so um, so you're still going back and forth to L.A. It's, well, I, still yeah, have I, have, I have family in L.A. Do and, you? Yeah. you know, I still do a lot of pop projects. I'll still go to London and, and work with artists there. Oh, great. That's another great thing about being in Nashville. I'm more centrally located. If I yeah. want to go to London, it's a sh- shorter flight. Yeah. Or L.A., it's a shorter flight. Yeah. So. That's yeah, cool. I just love it here. It's a central. Yeah, it is. It's, yeah. it's very central. Yeah. It's very cool. Let's take you back. I want to. Talk, I want to get the Martika story. Uh, oh. So she's working at uh, Disney, doing the Disney Kids show. And and was, did you discover her? They put you with her. You, but you really brought her along, didn't you? Well, you know, Martika was starring in this show called Kids Incorporated for mm-hmm. the Disney Channel. Yeah. And um, I have a sister, Lori Margulies, mm-hmm. who's very successful in television production. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. She's, um, she, I mean, if there's a live event going on, she's probably on the production staff. She's done the Oscars. She's done the Emmys. Wow. Uh, she won a DGA award as one of the directors of President Obama's inaugural. Wow. So, Incredible. But back, you know, go back 20, 30 years ago, she was just starting and trying to break into television. And one of her first jobs was on Kids Incorporated. Oh, okay. And I went down to Hollywood to meet her at the studio because we were going to meet for lunch to discuss something. I forget what. And they were running behind. And so she said, do you mind waiting? We got to shoot this one scene. And I was like, okay. So I stood off to the side. And there was this 16-year-old girl, Martika. They were shooting a scene of her singing a song. 16 at a time. And... Then my sister and I went to lunch, and all I could talk about was Martika. I was like, <laughs> wow, what I just saw, that she's amazing. I said, this girl needs to have a record deal. I want to work with her. How can we make that happen? And then Lori introduced me to Martika's mom, who was also managing her at the time. And we decided we were going to go to the studio and do a couple demos and just see if the fit was right, if it worked. And it was, it was a perfect fit, actually. Wow. We started doing demo after demo after demo. Eventually, I, I helped her get into songwriting because uh, most of the songs we were demoing were songs that I was writing mm-hmm. with other writers. And then I, I just sort of wanted to get her more into writing because a lot of the pop dance artists at the time uh, that she was competing with, whether it was the uh, like Tiffany or... Uh, Paul Abdul or you know those people Debbie they, they, they weren't yeah. really well Debbie was a writer but yeah. the other ones they weren't really writing their songs mm-hmm. and so I thought I wanted Martika to, to have some writer credits on her album so that's nice yeah we make started, more money then yeah so I started bringing her in on the writing sessions and to everyone's surprise she was a really good writer she she had a lot of great ideas wow. she brought a lot of great ideas to the songs and so she she yeah she was like a born songwriter that's awesome so, yeah, we just started doing demo after demo, and then we felt it was time to take it to the labels. And, wow, it's, I know it's not easy today, but no. back then it just seemed so easy because everybody we brought her to wanted to sign her, and we had a bidding war going between, like, eight major labels. Did you really? <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was, it was a fun time. And, I'll bet. Yeah. You know, we ended up landing at, at uh, Columbia Records, which at the time was CBS, and then they switched to Sony. What a label, though. Really, Columbia. Yeah, yeah. And, all uh, the great people in Columbia. Oh, man. Yeah, and we made the record for Columbia, and uh, the rest is history, I guess. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Big number one. and uh, Toy Soldiers, that yeah. came out of nowhere. Too, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, they signed her as a pop dance act. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's funny because Toy Soldiers was uh, they, the song they were least interested in on the album. You know, they let me have my way, like I said. Yeah. Uh, I, I got to write and produce the whole album, so there wasn't any other outside influence in the album. So the record company felt as long as they had their two or three dance singles, they were happy I could do whatever else I want on the album. <laughs> and Toy Soldiers sort of fell into that category because they didn't care about it. They were like, I don't know what this is, but it's a weird record. That's, that's <laughs> how they felt. And... Uh, so the first single that came off the album was More Than You Know. It was a dance song, and it, it, it got top 20. It wasn't a huge hit, but it did okay. Not bad, yeah. And then they, it came time to release the next single, and the label was pushing for a, a cover version of Carole King's I Feel the Earth Move. I remember her version of that. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but I was thinking, you know, I didn't want to jump from one failed dance song to another a dance cover. Yeah. I, I, I kept thinking there's something magical about Toy Soldiers. Mm-hmm. And I wanted that to come out, and, and nobody would like take me seriously about that. So the kids' choir, that's good. I, I going to play that. I remember at the time what I had yeah. to do. I went behind Tommy Mottola's back, <laughs> and I went to the head of promotion there, Mark Benish, yeah. and I said, "Mark, please." Just spike this on a few radio stations and some test markets. Just see what the reaction is because I have a feeling about this. Yeah. And he did it for me. And I remember he called me up and he says, you're going to get me in a lot of trouble with Tommy Mottola because I did what you said. And it reacted incredible. I mean, <laughs> they're going to have to release it as a single now. <laughs> you got your way. <laughs> uh, so they did. And yeah. What were some of the test markets? Where, where did, where did, where oh, did, I don't remember don't exactly. Remember it might have been like Ohio or... Cleveland was always a big deal. Cle- yeah. I mean, there were, there were certain areas where labels did 
spin album cuts as you know as oh, test yeah. markets. They, they sure. would call it spiking it or something. Spiking yeah. it. That was a term. Yeah, yeah that was the term. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm just very grateful that that they did that. Otherwise, that might never have been a single. Wow. Was that life changing for you? Yeah, it was. And I, I think we all knew we had something special while we were making it. That's why I was putting so much into it. That's why when I came up with the idea of the children's choir, you know, and that was expensive. Mm. And, and I can't believe they let us do it because we, we used friends of Mortica's, uh, some of the ones who were on Kids Incorporated, like Fergie from the Black Eyed Peas. She's in the, she's in the choir when she was like 16. How about, there's a trivia question. Yeah, the, yeah that's true. Okay. Uh, so there was a lot of Mortica's friends and they were all show kids and they were all very talented. So mm-hmm. you get 16 kids together to, to be a choir and they all sounded, they all sang in tune with each other. It was wonderful. Yeah. But each of them brought their own stage mothers and, um, it was an after a uh, date, you know, uh, a union gig. So we had to have a, um, a studio teacher there and every 25 minutes you have to break so that they could have lessons. It's, uh, I mean, it's just like if you have a minor on a film set, you know, yeah. it was that kind of thing. Wow. So, and, and Sony was paying for all this. The, the bills kept going to them and they were thinking, <clears throat> what, what is Michael J doing? Oh my God. Uh, but I'm glad we had the choir on that because that really helped. And and the other thing I noticed is that, um, you know, Martika was always this up and bu- she had this bubbly personality, just fun, like, you know, like a Disney kid would. Yeah. Uh, but whenever I'd be around her in the evenings, if we were going to dinner or going to a movie or just hanging out, um, she had a very different personality really? at night. Yeah. And so I thought because, you know, when she would sing Toy Soldiers in the middle of the day, we were recording it. And I thought, it's it's lacking something still. So I said to her, I said, we're going to record this vocal at midnight. <laughs> and we're going to surround the microphone with candlelight. Ah. And we just <laughs> we just made the studio into this whole gothic kind of vibe. It was, and we recorded it at midnight. And that's what gave it that, that quality that isn't in any of the other songs on the album. You know, and that's so important. I mean, you think about how hard it is for an artist to go into a studio and I mean, there's, they're used to playing in front of an audience, right? And getting that immediate feedback. And all of a sudden you're in a studio with hardly anybody around and you've got to feel it and you can't feed off the audience. So you've got to find that mood, don't yeah, you? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And that's yeah. part of a producer's job to put him in that situation. Huh? Yeah. I mean, that was a, brilliant what you did. A producer is very, uh, for a record is very much like a director of a film. You're mm-hmm. working with the talent, the, the musicians or the singer, and you're trying to get a performance out of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah. What was your first taste of, of, of the production side? And this is what I love about you, Mike. We talk about on this on this podcast. Uh, I'd say don't lock yourself into a genre. Don't lock, don't lock yourself into a genre. Don't lock yourself into one thing. I'm just a lyricist. I'm just a melody guy. You know, do it all. And you have done it all. You've had success in a lot of different areas. So um, from, was it songwriter first or producer? It was songwriter first because I always wanted to be a songwriter first. Mm-hmm. Um, and my early cuts were not produced by me. Mm-hmm. But songwriters always produce their own demos of the songs. So I, I understood production. I'd go in the studio and produce a demo of the song. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But because I was unknown as a producer, I had no track record as a producer. So my early cuts were, you know, like, um, well, like a Top Gun, Giorgio Moroder produced it. I had a Stephanie Mills cut that George Duke produced. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've had some legendary producers, I'll tell you that. And, and artists that you've worked with, we, I didn't even get to the rest of this. I mean, people like Celine Dion. Uh, yeah. And of course, Eminem picked up the song. Mandy Moore, Kylie Minogue. These are yeah. all people. Gloria Estefan, yeah. um, John Sakata. This, this list is, is on and on and on. You've had a lot of success. Well, you, going back to your question, though, at one point, <clears throat> I was getting a lot of album cuts mm-hmm. without having singles. Mm-hmm. And for a songwriter, that's not, you know, you can't sustain a career. But back in the day when, when records were selling, oh, yeah. it'd I be mean, a nice payday. Uh, right? well, yeah, a Celine Dion album that sells 30 million copies. One Grammy, have, right? If you have an album track <laughs> on an album that sells 30 million copies, you're being paid for 30 million sales. Yeah, you are. So you could, back in the day, you could have a, a career as a songwriter if all you ever got were album cuts. Yeah. But, you know, I wanted I wanted hits. I wanted songs on the radio and on the charts, and, and I wasn't getting those. And I felt, and my publisher uh, agreed with me uh, that, the demos that I was producing sounded better than the records that were being released gotcha. of the songs. Mm. <clears throat> and so famous music at the time, Alan Molina, who was my publisher and became my manager. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we all took a very hard stance. We said the next time somebody's interested in a Michael J song, let's, let's, let's play hardball and test the water. And let's say Michael J has to produce the record and see uh-huh. what happens. <laughs> and the next project that came along was a group out of the UK uh, uh, called five star an R and B group, a family group. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were interested in uh, my song, The Slightest Touch. And 
we said, okay, but Michael J has to produce it, but I'd never produced anything, you know? <laughs> so they were like, Oh, I don't know. You know, I mean, they're working with Tina Turner's producers and, uh, and Michael Jackson's pro- and all these great people yeah. that had great credits and yeah. I had like nothing. Um, but they liked the demo. So I met with them and they said, well, as long as you co-produce with our dad, you know, cause it was a family group. So Buster Pearson was their dad. And I was like, fine, Buster can be on as a co-producer. That's fine. He just really wanted to supervise me, you know? Right, right, right. But, uh, we produced the record and it turned out to be a single. Wow. My first production just charted in Billboard. And <laughs> so, there was no stopping you, right? And, and, yeah. So then yeah. I, I was a, a bona fide producer, I guess, because yeah. uh, those five star records were hits, especially in England. Uh, uh, the slightest touch was a top five hit. And that kind of helped me get uh, artists like Kylie Minogue, mm-hmm. you know, to come in and work with me because I, I got to produce her, too. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite artist you work with over the years? A favorite artist? Oh, wow. Um, nice. Weird question. Because <laughs> there's so many. You know, if I, if I name one, it's like I'm excluding others. Uh, top ten. Uh, t- oh, top ten. That's wow. your radio. Top five. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, I loved having a Celine Dion cut. That's, oh, like that. that's like the cream of the crop for any songwriter. And, yeah. and uh, just hearing her perform one of your songs. But I always tell this story when I do these writer's rounds about that song because I didn't write it for Celine Dion. Tell us. Tell us um, here now. I tried to write a song for Bonnie Raitt. You know, and we thought we nailed it. We thought this is a perfect song for Bonnie Raitt. So we set, we demoed it up. We sent it to Capitol Records, mm-hmm. and they said this doesn't sound at all like Bonnie Raitt. <laughs> it sounds more like Aretha Franklin or something. You know, it's too R and B for Bonnie Raitt. Uh-huh. So we were like, well, that's a good idea. Let's send it to Clive Davis for Aretha Franklin. Clive Davis. Yeah. So we sent it over to Clive Davis for Aretha Franklin, and Clive writes back and says, this sounds like early Aretha Franklin, what she used to do. We're trying to take her in a more '80s direction, modern her sound a little bit so so um we put it in a drawer for a couple of years and then my co-writer uh claude Gadette, um he got a job working for celine dion he was his, her keyboard player on tour oh my and they great. were backstage one day and celine was talking to him about the next album and she said you know i'd really love to do a song that sounds like old aretha franklin <laughs> <laughs> And, well, it just so happens. And, and he, he played it out and he pulled it for her, and that's exactly how it happened. Wow. I was trying to pull up a little bit of this. Yeah. There it is, yeah. Yeah, it does have that. Oh, you betcha. Now, did you produce this too? No, uh, Rick Wake produced Rick this. <laughs> Great song. And this this one has to be, this album won a Grammy, right? Yes, it won the Grammy for Album of the Year. Yeah. Listen a bit. Muscle Shoals feels good. That's, that's yeah. me. And she's channeling Aretha a little she bit. She really you know? is, man. She really is. Absolutely love it. Like Michael J. is our guest today on the Songwriter Connection. Let's do a podcast uh, break here, and then when we come back, I've got more questions for you. All right. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low, net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. You're listening to the Songwriter Connection, connecting with music makers and hearing their songs and stories. Now back to the show with your host, Dave Linehan. Mike, we're in a weird time in the music business. You know, um, streaming comes along and it kind of kills all the, the mechanical uh, people aren't buying records anymore. They're downloading them. And now we're afraid of AI. I mean, so it kills the songwriters and now AI can kill the, the artists. Isn't this crazy? Well, How do you feel about all this stuff? Is AI really going to kill the artist? I don't know. Well, they I mean, said that video would kill the radio star, and it didn't really happen. <laughs> but no, but I think when people are freaking out about AI uh, replacing artists, I mm-hmm. mean, 
I went to a Taylor Swift's concert, Neeson Stadium, and I, I was thinking of that while I was at the concert. Were I'm you? like, yeah. there will never be an AI artist that can sell out a stadium like this all yeah. over the world. Uh-huh. I mean, who's going to be a fan of a mythical thing that doesn't <laughs> exist? I mean, I think people are drawn to other people. who they, It's easier for us to relate to other humans. Now, you say that, and I think about bands when I was a kid, like the Archies, or like, how about the Gorillas? They weren't really <laughs> artists. They were... Well, they no. Well, but there were people behind. There them, were but, yeah. There were still humans behind it. Humans wrote the songs. Humans, humans wrote the songs. Humans sang them. I think Ron Dante was the voice of the Archies. Yeah, and um, I mean these were and Jeff Berry wrote those songs. Jingle Jangle, Sugar Sugar. Yeah, you know. So I don't know that AI can ever do that. Yeah, I, I haven't. I haven't so. heard AI. I've, I've experimented with it a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, like I would give an, an AI. There's a program that where it spits out a lyric. You give it a title and it spits out a lyric. Yeah. Okay, it did that, but it was very generic lyric, and it, and especially, in, especially it in country music, where yeah. lyrics have to have these really uh, ingenious twists to them. Oh, yeah. They do. The AI is not going to come up with that. I, at least I haven't seen it yet. Not yet. And even Garth Brooks said at the CRS last year, country radio seminar, he said, "Well, if AI could ever write a song that was good enough, I'd, I'd listen to it." But uh, I did the same thing. I went to Chat GPT. I, I typed in some of my lyrics. And uh, I asked first to analyze it, and it gave a pretty good. I said, "Wow, that's maybe I did a good job writing right, right that." And then I said, "Well, just write a third verse." <laughs> right, <laughs> and it, it did. And it, well, uh, but no, it is impressive how you could have an emulation of a human voice singing, isn't it? I've incredible? heard that. That's impressive. Yeah, I've heard Elvis, and I've heard Hank, and I've heard J- uh, Johnny Cash uh, AI, and now uh, they announced uh, right around Elvis's birthday this year. That they're going to do an AI Elvis show in in London, but Elvis was a human being. Yeah, that's we're, true. We're remembering a human being. I, I think if AI had to create a completely new artist from scratch, yeah, where the artist never really existed and it's just a computer, that's never going to make those artists will never be as big as Elvis, the Beatles, Taylor, or any of these people. I just don't see that happening. I want to believe you. <laughs> I really do, and I hope you're right. I swear. But you know, um, I. I it, it, Governor Lee here in Tennessee, just uh, this past week, we're taping this in, in January, uh, introduced legislation trying to protect artists from AI. And and I think that, and I applaud him for that forward looking. Um, you, you can launch an artist, and I just throw this out. You can launch an artist like Eleni Wilson. She becomes Entertainer of the Year. And we don't want to pay her anymore. We can, we can AI her. <laughs> Man, we can AI her and people will never know the difference. We didn't think it was going to happen with streaming, did we? Um, but it did, and it, you know, a lot of income was was taken away, unfortunately. Now I'm hoping I'm wrong. I, we I hope we solve this. And um, well, that is an interesting legislative question, I think, because mm-hmm. our voices belong to us. And yes. if, if somebody's going to impersonate us, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's one thing if it's for parody, yeah, and satire. But if it's if they're trying to make money off of who we are and what we do, yeah. I think that crosses a line, and I think they could be sued. I mean, I don't know. I would think so. It has to be tried first, so there's a precedent there, a legal precedent. But yeah, it's going to uh, be interesting. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Yeah. Technology is kind of it's kind of strange. We think about how things have changed. You and I, probably about the same age. You're probably a little bit younger, but we started in radio when we were spinning records. I mean, actually spinning records. And uh, mm-hmm. when we were doing production, we were actually splicing tape. And today we can throw it on a computer and it's so easy. Well, when I started producing records in the 80s, the big thing was the the drum machine was like everything in, yeah. in, in pop music. Uh-huh. And I was a whiz programming a drum machine. I mean, I love doing that so much. That I, I, I remember thinking in the 80s, I was never going to make a record with a live drummer on it. I, no? I hated live drummers. See? That was in the 80s, of course. But I mean, today, especially being in Nashville, I've been working with some of the greatest drummers in town. And, and yeah. the results are so much better than sitting there with your fingers hitting buttons. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so for a while, though, we did replace the drummer, but now it's coming back. And it's kind of yeah. like, but now, now I like to have a live drummer playing over loops so you kind of kind of it's like a hybrid you can have loops going on and stuff and yeah you, you could be really innovative production wise using all the technology along with the humans so it's know? not a bad thing it's no, a good it's, thing it's not a bad thing yeah 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 it's it's made it easier in some in some cases another tool in the toolbox and you can't have too many tools can you <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> all right as a songwriter let's talk songwriting and mm-hmm. uh i wanted to ask you 
uh, when you first uh, felt the calling uh, that you want to write uh, songs? Well, I might have been like seven years old. Really? Now, did you play an instrument first? Um, I was always a keyboard player. I'm not a guitar player, which is kind of a difficult thing to being in Nashville. But I like I <laughs> guitar like to, town. I, I like to write with guitar players. But, yeah, um, I'm a keyboard player. And, uh, and I'm also a lyricist and a, mm-hmm. and a top liner singer kind of, so I can do all that. I just can't play good guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I think when I was seven, I mean, my, I don't remember this, but my parents used to tell me that when I was a kid, I used to walk around in circles every time I'd sing a song because I was, I thought I was a record or I was <laughs> pretending to be a, a record or something. Spin me right round. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, but I was always making up songs, um, back then and i think what got me started you know my family my parents bought us a jukebox we had a jukebox in our oh, basement oh how cool is that yeah and I, I loved it and i started collecting records so i became a big record collector because of the jukebox i would collect 45s every, mm. i i would get a subscription to billboard magazine mm. and each week the new entries on the hot 100 i'd go out and buy them so i had for many many years i had every single that ever charted wow yeah. You were your own radio station. <laughs> <laughs> You're always turning your friends on to new music, I'll bet, too. I was. I think that's why they gave me the music director position when I first got to college, because mm-hmm. I, I kind of had that vibe to, on me. You know, everybody who met me knew I, I always talked about new artists, new records, what's, go, what's going on out there musically, you know. I remember when I was a kid, um, I had a little record player, you know, the, the old kind of flip top, you know. And my grandfather used to get all of the songs that came out of the jukeboxes. So they'd have little marks on them and stuff. Uh-huh. And I remember just sitting for hours listening in, again. Um, I mean, everything blues to rock, to just anything that, that popped up. And, and just, it was just music. And I just loved it. Yeah. And I would spend hours doing that. Yeah. And, and I can remember as a kid, going to the store we were good boys my brother and i so i'm gonna get you a toy today and uh and i'm like can i get needles for my record player <laughs> that's, that's what i want yeah you know? so i was kind of the same way yeah. yeah yeah so music was always been your play were your parents musical no my dad was a lawyer mm-hmm. um but uh you know they recognized that this was kind of where i was headed i think he would have rather i took over his practice mm-hmm. but no he helped me a lot uh didn't discourage you in any way. It never really discouraged me. No, uh-huh. um, I mean they bought the jukebox and wow, it, 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 you know it was just fun. And uh-huh. I used to read the credits on the labels, the record labels. Mm-hmm. That's how I discovered that there were songwriters. Yeah, they had to put them in parentheses under yeah, the title. Especially back then in the seventies, a lot of the hits were not written by the artists performing them. No, no. And I noticed that very early on. I was like, wait a minute, because the same names kept coming up on a lot of my favorite songs, where it was David Foster, yeah. or Peter Allen, or yeah. people like that. And I was like, okay, these are these. Are the guys writing these songs these are great there's people that do that yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a good career i want to do that yeah. yeah so that's yeah yeah there was the brill building in uh in new york yeah and all those big hit writers like carol king and yeah neil diamond and i was probably born 10 years too late for that but yeah i, I wish I, I would have loved to have been working in the brill building but you know what I, I my nephew lived in in new york for a little while and we went to visit him. the first place i had to see was the brill building yeah and uh, yeah. we found it and i was like oh wow that's it <laughs> wow how cool yeah but, yeah so I'm a big history buff when it comes to music and stuff. I know. With everything anyway, you know. Music business history, there's a lot of it. Yeah. So you knew you were a songwriter at a very early age. How about learning the craft? What was the process? Well, I, I knew I was a songwriter because I was making up songs. But to be honest, I was really thinking I wanted to be an A&R guy. I was gravitating yeah. towards that. So when I got the job with Curtis Mayfield, I was very excited. But that, that only lasted a, a couple of years. And then I, I moved to L.A. and I could not get an A&R position in L.A. No. I was just stuck out there without a job. And I just somehow got involved with the songwriting community there. A lot of great people in the early 80s who I became friends with, who I'm still friends with today, who start, we all started at the same time, like Diane Warren, me and Diane Warren. Wow. I remember meeting her in LA when she just had like one cut to her name. (laughs) Google her if you're not familiar. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But um, no, it was was a great scene back then. And I became friends with lots of the big songwriters at that time. That's great. And we all just started writing songs together. And and Mm. so I gave up my dream of being an A&R person (laughs) to to be the the person that are hated by you know, our people, <laughs> songwriters. Well, so you had that when you went in to talk to an A&R people, I was just where you are. So, you know, you've got some common ground. I think it might be why I didn't get along with a lot of A&R people. We, we always butted heads a lot because I was either a frustrated A&R guy or they were a frustrated songwriter. You know? <laughs> 
I hear you. <laughs> Before we went on and turned on the mics and stuff, you were telling me how different it was from L.A. to Nashville. And uh, maybe you can share a little bit um, about the how the industry is different. Well, um, in in one in one respect, uh, in the pop music world, uh, if you land a cut with an with an artist, mm-hmm. uh, the record company kind of expects that you're going to produce the record now. Oh, do they? Oh, yeah, because the, it's it's not like back in the days in the '70s and the '80s where they had producers producing and, and writers writing. I mean, today they really do look at the tracks on the demo and how well they're produced, and then it's like, yeah, that's what we want for our record. So really? the writers nowadays get to produce a lot of the records when they get their cuts, and I don't find that too much here in Nashville, especially in country music. In really? country music, it's still the the old model where there's usually one producer for a whole album, okay. you know, and they're good producers uh, and, they, and they have their way of doing things. You know, someone like Dan Huff, who's great, he'll go in the studio with, with a band or an artist and they'll cut a whole album, you yeah. know, and those songs are probably coming from writers who made very good demos, but they're not producing those versions. I hear you. I hear you. So, um, yeah, that, that's so if you get a cut in country music, you're probably not going to be the producer. You're just going to be the writer. And that's that's writer. interesting to me. And then you pray that it's going to be a single. Yes. Of course. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's pretty cool. Um, it just opens up a whole lot of other questions. Um, and I'm going to fire away. You know? uh, so there's that. There's that. Uh, oh, there's there, one other interesting difference. Okay, okay go. Um, we don't have writer rounds in Los Angeles. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, songwriters don't go out to clubs and, and perform their own songs. No. Uh, and then I get to Nashville, and it's like, I love the writer's rounds here in Nashville. So that was totally new to you. See. It was new to me, but the fact that you could go any night in Nashville, you could go to any of these little yeah. pubs or restaurants or whatever, and there's like three guys sitting on a stool mm-hmm. on the stage, and one of them starts playing a song that you recognize as being a hit. And you think, oh, they're just doing a cover version of that. <laughs> well, no, they're the writer. <laughs> they, they, they actually wrote that. Yeah. And, and I just think that's so cool that in Nashville, the, the actual songwriters can get up and perform their songs. And, oh, yeah. and, 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 like, and I go to the Bluebird a lot and see that. And I do, too. It's just so inspiring yeah. and so much fun to actually hear the songs by the original writers. And so I was here, and all my friends said, well, now that you're here, you got to start doing that, too. Yeah. So you're doing that more? <laughs> so I thought, well, I, I first of all, I always felt I'd be terrified on stage in front of an audience because I, I always wanted to be behind the scenes. I never wanted to be a performer. Um, and then I'm here in Nashville and everyone's saying, yeah, go up and do a writer's round. And first of all, I didn't play guitar. So I had a lot of friends offer to accompany me on the guitar. We well, can also uh, bring a keyboard too, right? Yeah, yeah. But then you got to set it up and there's no room on the stage. Yeah. And blah, blah. Anyway, I, I, one of my friends, Bob Kropp, and actually, oh, Bobby Crop. Yeah, sure. Bobby Crop. He's great. And great Scott, Scott Barrier is doing yeah. it for me, too. Yeah. Um, they, they learned some of the songs I wanted to play, like Toy Soldiers and Declaration of Love. And, That's great. And, on a guitar. <laughs> so, yeah, so I would get up there and I would, do, I would sing these songs and they'd accompany me on the guitar. And that's something you don't see in Los Angeles. But I actually enjoyed it. I, did, I was terrified the first time I did it. Okay. I didn't think I was going to like the experience at all. And now I love it. I'm very comfortable doing it. You know, the other thing, too, what we do here a lot is uh, house parties. And uh, uh-huh. and I host a few of those around town, um, and they love to hear the stories behind the songs. Yeah. they want to know how you wrote it. I love that too. Yeah. and I a lot of writers write books about the stories about behind sure. the songs, and I, I love reading those books too. Shelley Pikins got a good one. Steve Dorf has a great book. I got to read uh, that. Steve's book is amazing. It's called "I Wrote That One Too." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got a lot I, of I recommend that. But uh, reading books written by songwriters that, that have the stories about their songs—that's those are those are great things. I highly recommend you do that. Absolutely. Like I say, you never stop learning the craft. You just no. keep doing it. And it, it, it inspires when you hear the stories behind songs. It, it feels, at least for me. It inspires me. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. It does me too. And that's why I love going to the rounds and I yeah. love to go to the Bluebird yeah. and to play the Bluebird. It's oh just, my God. Yeah. Have you played there yet? I have not played oh, there yet. Man, it's just heaven. And I, uh, I think I have to have a country hit to play there. <laughs> I don't know that I could go in there and do an Eminem song. <laughs> <laughs> well, why not? <laughs> Has there ever been an Eminem song performed at the Bluebird? You know what? I would imagine. <laughs> You never know. I will never say no. I will never say no. Because you just never know. Oh, that's crazy. Wow. Incredible. Well, I hope that happens for you. How about country hits? How's that going? Are you are you really pursuing uh, the country as a well, genre? I, I've written since I've been here. I've written some songs I'm proud of that are in the country genre. Mm-hmm. Pitching uh, around, pitching them around. None of them got cut yet, and I'm 
got my fingers crossed. You know, some of them, the co-writers are like really important country Nashville-based writers. Yeah. So I keep thinking maybe I'll, I'll get a shot writing their coattails. I mean, you know, yeah. but you know. the songs are good. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of them. Yeah. And uh, if one of them gets cut, then that'll uh, give me some uh, credibility in country music, I well, guess. I pray that happens for you. That's good. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. And you got a lot of clout behind you, so... Uh, I well, think, I hope so. And success behind you, so uh, hopefully that'll be uh, the route that happens for you. I, I know. Uh, you're not wasting time here in Nashville. You're busy, busy schedule, don't you? You know, people ask me if I move to Nashville because I'm retiring. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, a songwriter doesn't move to Nashville to retire. <laughs> 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 no, <laughs> no, no, no. Immerse yourself in it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and you've noticed uh, the difference between uh, you said before. You talk about Nashville song versus like an LA pop song, um, and the differences. Oh well, I mean, the writers here are serious about songwriting, especially when it comes to lyrics. I mean, you can't you can't pass off generic stuff here. <clears throat> I mean, those country songs. That's one of the things I love about country music. The songs tell stories mm-hmm. in in very descriptive ways. Yeah. And I just love that. You know, pop music, um, you can be vague and ambiguous in the lyrics. Um, you can get away with a lot of generic stuff as long as the melodic hooks are there mm-hmm. and the production hooks are there and it's fun to listen to. Yeah. But if you strip away all the all the glossiness of the production and just look at the lyrics, some of them are like, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they, they got away with that? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, and it doesn't fly here. No. Are you noticing a marriage between the two styles, though, in, in, in the country music, the way the country well, has that, changed? Well, I think, I think that started with Taylor Swift, uh, her, her little hybrid between country and pop when she was like transitioning mm-hmm. um and i think and then a lot of young country artists tried to emulate that yeah style and then and that's kind of what what you're dealing with now um there's pop elements to country songwriting now oh yeah um that, did, that didn't really exist before i mean it's not like the old honky-tonk twangers anymore mm-hmm. there's like a new style of country music that's happening and it's, for me that's very exciting is it yeah <clears throat> you yeah. like it i love it yeah i love it yeah they're doing a lot more uh i'm hearing a lot less traditional instruments and uh i will will say though i just did a demo last month the first time i ever had to record twin fiddles on on anything (laughs) i love it i did yeah oh that's fantastic (laughs) very good so you have one producer you have a studio here in nashville i have pro tools in my house just Mm -hmm. everybody seems to have a studio in in this town i mean Mm -hmm. some people have have real studios in their houses you know um, Mm -hmm. but i've just got a little computer with pro tools and i can record vocals there i can mix i can edit vocals i you can go. do all that. And, yeah. Well, look at me. I, I perform out of a yeah. We're, dining we're, room. We're, we're doing this podcast in your dining room. That's right. <laughs> Around the Duncan Fife dining room table. <laughs> Who's every bit a part of this, this with, show? With, with your cat. <laughs> with my cat. <laughs> yeah. Home is where you make it, right? Studios where you make it these days. Uh-huh. Yeah. You look at people like... Um, uh, Billie Eilish and her brother producing it in their bedroom. Isn't that amazing? You know, is it what they what they accomplished together? I mean, Phineas is just a genius. He's a musical genius. Really is, I, is I, I just love the stuff he does. Yeah, yeah. Did you have a chance to work with them? Meet with them? No, I, I never even met them. Um, mm. But I'm, you know, I, I I love that song she did for the Barbie movie. Yeah, she's she's amazing. I gotta see that movie yet. I just <laughs> <laughs> see that. <laughs> Do you recommend? It? Uh, yeah, it was fun. Mm. It was fun. I like fun movies. Yeah. There you go. So you also talked about how uh, it was different in the uh, in the 80s. Oh, by the way, there's one thing I want to say. You know, Taylor Swift and her hybrid you were talking about. Uh, I started in country music in, in 1980. So I saw that with Dolly Parton. Uh-huh. That's right. Here yeah. you come again. Yeah. 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 She sort of crossed into pop. Yeah. I, I like it when the when the country artists cross pop. Anne Murray did it when she worked with Anne David Murray, Foster. That's, that's right. Uh, Kenny Rogers, of course. His song's always were hits in the pop world. And people don't realize what a great uh, music business person he was. I mean, yeah. He publishing, did the whole thing. Yeah. I mean, so you're, you're right. In the 70s, uh, American Top 40 included a lot more country music than, than it does today. It today, it's more segregated. Mm-hmm. And it shouldn't be because there's, there's a lot of great country music going on. Really I is. remember when, when I started in radio, and you, you probably remember this, back in the 70s and 80s, the Top mm-hmm. 40 radio station would segue from Ann Murray to Led Zeppelin <laughs> like without blinking an eye. I mean, that was normal. If it was in the Top 40, <laughs> then they'd play it. Uh, yeah, we were talking about CHR radio. CHR radio. Yeah, and yeah. you just don't see that anymore. Yeah, it was hard. <laughs> you have to drop a jingle in there or something. 
something. We, we had a fast to slow jingle, is what it was. You know? From a fast song into a slow song. No, yeah. but if they both had songs in the top ten, that was normal to hear that on one radio station. You would do it. That's, yeah. that's absolutely right. Yeah. And you know what? Performance today, too. You know, um, I, you talked about the songwriter rounds in, in watching. Now, um, I, I watched a, a gal that I'd seen uh, in rounds before, just her and a guitar, with her full band uh, last night. And it blew me away uh, because, and not only her performance, but the variety of songs that they had to play to entertain that right. uh, that crowd. And, I mean, we heard everything from Delta Dawn <laughs> to Metallica, Heart, mm-hmm. Fleetwood Mac. She was mixing it all in and people were loving it, wanting something for everybody. I think people have a lot more... Um, musical knowledge today. Yeah. And our, again, that's why I say don't lock into a genre because if it's a hit, it's a hit. No, there's so much to draw on. And if you're a young new singer and you're not uh, familiar with the older, you know, the older artists and the older songs, you should go back and study them because, you man, should. oh my God. She was playing uh, one song, she was playing The Chain. The band did The Chain Fleetwood by Mac. Fleetwood Mac. Yeah. And they did it spot on. And I, I whispered to my buddy, I said, you know, when that song came out, she wasn't even born. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I was her age when that song came out. But the thing, I'm not just saying because I remember when, you know, in the 60s, uh-huh. our parents were not into the music we were into. Oh, no, because they and came it, from a whole different... Yeah, and it would be considered unhip if we wanted to, like, go back and listen to what our parents were listening to. Exactly. But that's not the case anymore. No. I think, um, you know... A lot of the new music has its roots in the 80s and the 90s and the 70s. And I mean, the so like like you said, The Chain, what a classic song that is. Great song, yeah. I mean, that could be done again today by any new artist, and it would be a hit. I, and I maintain that we live through the, the greatest era I, of I agree, music. I agree. You know, um, I told a story uh, recently, um, and it still blows me away to think about it. I listened to a, a, a AAA radio station here in town that I love. And they played a David Bowie song from mm-hmm. f- from Ziggy Stardust. Yeah, and they were talking about how you know it was fifty years old at the time. And I started thinking back in time uh, from the if you took the time that that song came out and you went back fifty years from there, how different the music was then. Yeah, you were yeah. talking Charleston. <clears throat> yeah, and, and and that was even before big band. Yeah, you know. Uh, so it's just amazing to me that these I mean, songs are so relevant yet can, today. Can you imagine somebody trying to do a song like Space Oddity today? <laughs> <laughs> Try to get that past an A&R guy, right? <laughs> Try and get a song like that out of AI, <laughs> you know? Or, or Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> You're absolutely right. <laughs> when AI could write Bohemian Rhapsody, then I'll worry. Then talk to me, right? <laughs> I think we're going to leave it there, Michael. But it was so good to have you and chat with you a little bit. Uh, sure. Thank get to you know a little much. bit about you and, uh, and and more about the music industry. And maybe we get a chance to do it again sometime. I hope so. Thank you so much, Dave. I want to see you in the round one of these days. I really do. Well, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Songwriter Connection podcast. Find us on social media at Songwriter Connection. Also, listen to Dave Lanahan's Nashville Connections radio show. It streams live every Friday morning on WOBL and WNOI. Look for us on Facebook and YouTube. See you next time on Songwriter Connection. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.